Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's joined us for the first time, you are listening to a very weird and very strange and very different episode this week. And for anyone who's tuned in before, you're probably thinking, what on earth is Nick talking about? This week, we are doing a little bit of a look back over the last 100 episodes, and there's a very specific reason why. Last week, completely unbenign to me, complete news um, after I'd recorded it, I got an email from our lovely audio producer, Paul, who said, Nick, congratulations on your 100th episode, to which Byron and I said, oh my gosh, we completely missed that. We should do something quite special. So this week, we're doing a bit of a episode 101, where we're going to do a 101 to our favourite episodes that have happened. And how are we going to judge our favourite episodes? Well, we're going to go in terms of top to bottom, um, looking at the top episodes when we look at view count. So the amount of people that have listened, downloaded or tuned into those particular episodes. We're going to do a little rundown this week and you can probably tell things are a little bit different just even by the way we're introducing stuff today. And um, we're going to play you some clips from some of our best episodes looking back over over the last uh, last 100 episodes, the last 2 years um, as it's been an enormous milestone to me. Just before we dive in, I just wanted to um, draw your attention to an enormous thank you from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to some of the people that I know have listened to almost every single one of those 100 episodes. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy and I'm incredibly thankful to have you all listening in. Um, It's absolutely amazing when I picture how many people I see on the figures if you guys were all together in the same room tuning in to our podcast. I also want to make you aware that Byron and I are working, um, Byron especially, working incredibly hard in the background to improve things. We're starting to introduce video, which um, there isn't actually any out yet, but watch this space. We are working on it. It's going to be released very shortly. Um, We're putting things onto new channels. We've completely reformatted um, in the last two years as well since Byron's been involved. Um, We've completely reformatted the way we do things. We've had some phenomenal guests, some great sponsors, and and also had um, a couple of uh, very, very minor, might I add, awards and things along the way. Um, I'm not very big at blowing our own trumpets. I won't talk about those at all, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you all with us. And I want to say a massive thank you to Byron, a massive thank you to Paul for editing and to every single guest we've had on the show. Um, I've learned, as you can imagine, an incredible amount uh, talking to all these different people. So my job on today's episode is to introduce literally myself and some of our guests. Um, I'm going to give you a quick overview um, from where I'm sitting right now on each little clip we're going to listen to. And then we're going to go into that clip then I'll jump back in and explain the next one. So the first clip um, was perhaps my scariest, the most anxious um, podcast I've ever recorded. I literally had no idea what was about to happen. And that's because it was my first episode that we ever did. Um, The first episode we ever did um, was called We Are Back With A Huge Announcement at Just Ask Parker dot 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 exciting news. It was the very last um, official episode that Caroline, um, who used to run the podcast, was the last episode Caroline was on. I can't remember the exact date but this would have been um, the summer of 2020 Um, so we're all sitting there in lockdown I just taken over this podcast become the CEO of Just Us Parker and this is a little snippet from that 
Now, here's your host, Caroline Belinska. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, this is going to be one of the last times you hear from me personally, but we have a new partner in our company called Nick. And Nick is one of those people who is just a genuine all-round great guy, but also highly skilled in what he does. And he's going to be taking over this podcast. And when he takes it over, he's going to be interviewing some amazing guests. He's been telling me off the live show what he's been working on. And he's already got set up about 10 new amazing guests that are going to be coming on. So exciting times for 2020 for us. Now, I want you to meet him now. He's going to tell us more about some case studies and some of his amazing clients that he works with. So Nick, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited that I get to announce this finally while we've been working on this in the background. Cool. No, thanks so much, Caroline. And it's great to be here. And um, I just want to say I didn't write anything Caroline's just said, but I am incredibly flattered. Um, so um, I thought I'd make that clear quickly. But um, yeah, it's great to be here. And again, Caroline said, you know, I, I shoot from the hip massively with, with, with stuff and what I don't want is a, a podcast where I talk about stuff I like that's that's not the aim here fortunately what I like is results so I'm going to try and get people on here that can help you guys grow your businesses get some good results with things you're doing ultimately the way it comes back to us is you phone us up at some point and say yeah we've made our first month of a hundred thousand um, dollars in sales yeah we're ready to go ready to go full whack at it that, that's where we're aiming to get you guys and we will nurture you to that point and beyond Well, I'm back. I hope that was useful. Um, I hope you found that uh, amusing as well. And I hope there weren't too many nerves. Um, And you can probably tell how my voice has changed over over the years as well. Um, This next episode was a really, really interesting one. Again, this is Rewinding the Clock. It's one of our most listened to episodes. And this was all about creating epic content that converts. Um, And most importantly, um, off the back of some books I've read over the years, courses I've been on, I decided to add on to the end of the name of this one, The Power of Words. So we're talking a lot about content, how to convert content on your site. So I hope you enjoy this clip. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who think Caroline sounds different, this isn't Caroline, this is Nick. I'm the new CEO here at Just Ask Parker. I'm going to be talking today about words and the power that words have. We're going to be talking a little bit about content and about how to write good content. Words have power. So we've got to use words and content wisely. If we say the wrong thing, we're going to turn customers off. They're going to bounce off our website. It's not going to work. If we don't say enough, they're not going to understand what we do. Words have meaning. Words have power. If you sell in different countries, you absolutely need to have a think about different languages you offer as well as different currencies. So one of the things that's going to really put people off when they land on your website is if they see a Google Shopping ad that says, this product costs this much in pounds because I'm sitting in London. And then I click on it and find out it's actually that amount in dollars or even in a currency where it's going to cost me more than that in pounds. If I was, for example, seeing it was going to be $20 and then I click on it and find out it's 25 pounds, well, 25 pounds is quite a lot more than $20. So when it comes to content and locations, for example, in different countries, uh, different geographic areas, you need to be very careful about what you call things. For example, we launched a US business in the UK quite a few years ago. They were one of our clients. We were doing all the SEO, PPC. We designed bits of the website. We did some of the coding for them. And in the US, they would call it pants and jewelry. And in the UK, we would call it trousers. And we'd still call it jewelry, but we'd spell it differently. There's always this argument over who's correct and that sort of thing. I'm not going to get into that today. But anyway, just to make the point that words carry a huge amount of meaning. So actually, if you are quite an American brand and you're selling internationally or you're quite a British brand selling internationally, 
actually using the British in other countries, if that's part of your brand, can be quite powerful. My point really is make sure you have a think about it and come up with the right solution you think is going to work for your audience. Again, something else we were talking about on the podcast was just about getting somebody else to play on your website. Don't tell them anything. Don't answer any of their questions. Just watch them use your website, even friends, family. The really good thing to do is to get somebody, like I I asked my nan to play with one of our websites the other day. She has no idea how the internet works. Absolutely no idea. And I asked her to click around. I said, just speak out loud. Everything you're thinking, looking at, just speak out loud and try and buy a product on this website. And she was clicking around. It took her a little while, but she did manage to do it. And when every time I thought she got stuck, I asked her a question, what are you expecting to see or read or what were you expecting to happen at this point? And she would then say, well, I was kind of expecting it to go into my cart. And then I said, well, no, you've clicked the add to wishlist button. So now I know it's not clear which one's buy and which one's wishlist. And then you also want to get somebody who's super savvy on technology, really, really short, quick attention span. Someone like myself, I get very bored on websites very, very quickly because I know the difference between a good website and a bad website in terms of how it works and how I want the website to work. But equally, it's all about your audience. So understand your audience, write some good content. So this next clip was interesting because this was one of the first times I'd ever done, firstly, a podcast on my own. This is my eighth um, episode I'd done. I remember our guest had actually bailed on us, um, pulled out last minute. Um, It was before we had any sponsors or anything on the podcast, certainly during uh, during my my, my time with the podcast anyway. Um, But I decided to go for a really sort of clickbait title, which clearly has worked because literally thousands of people have listened to this episode. Um, And this one's all about creating a profit-driving shop store. Nick outlines his top steps. So I can guarantee this next clip will just be me. Um, so yeah, I hope you uh, I hope you enjoy. What I'm going to talk about first, which I think is the most important thing, is the strategy and philosophy that I've created over the last few years behind how I think a retail business should be growing online. And obviously every Shopify store in the world has a cart. They're an e-commerce retail business of some description. You might be B2B, B2C. But either way, you've got some sort of retail element to you. Now, the way I normally imagine this, or I would draw on the whiteboard if we're all in a big workshop together right now, and I'm thinking of writing a book on this as well. So if you think I should do that, please drop me a note or mention it in the Facebook group and I'll uh, I'll try and crack on with that if I can. But my philosophy is that e-commerce marketing is a little bit like a wheel. And in the UK, we have these things called water wheels. And initially, the idea of these water wheels is that water would come down from one height to another in the process, splashing against the big wheel to make the wheel turn. Now that the wheel is turning, everything else works off that wheel. So that motion that you've created with this wheel turning, so water's falling on one side of this wheel, making it turn. And then in the middle of that wheel, there's normally a a sort of big bar that comes off. Apologies if I'm losing anybody with my basic engineering knowledge, but there'll be a... (laughs) some sort of bar coming off that that will twist. And now you've got motion. So what we would often do with water wheels in the UK going back 200, 300, 500 years is these water wheels would then create motion and would use that motion to do things like to grind up vegetables and fruit and things we had grown to create something like flour. So flour is created by grinding certain certain plants. And apologies, I have no idea what kind of plant is not my area expertise at all. But the idea is water hits the side of this wheel and this wheel starts to turn and everything flows from that wheel. I might try and do a diagram as well at some point. So if you want more information about Nick's water wheel, we'll call it, then feel free to reach out. But using that example in e-commerce means that the way I see it it, it working is that the water hitting the wheel, 
the new water hitting the wheel to create motion. That, in my opinion, is the new customers that you acquire. And I'm going to keep coming back to this as I go through the four other points I've got um, to talk about today. But the idea being that every time you get a new customer in, that new customer enters this wheel. And what happens in marketing, or certainly in e-commerce, is this wheel keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I'll explain as we go through the problems most e-commerce brands face and why this wheel becomes so important to them. But the idea being that new customers join the wheel, the wheel expands, and the wheel itself, the main bulk of mass within that wheel, which is slightly different to a water wheel because a water wheel stays the same size. But the, the difference with this is that this wheel will expand and grow. So every time some more water was to hit my wheel, my wheel would grow and expand. And it's the idea being that if you've got 100 customers in your email database now and you gain 10 more, you've now got 110 customers. So the 100 were already spinning around this wheel, a bit like a cycle. So we're going around this cycle, buying products, viewing products, receiving newsletters, emails, etc. You've gained 10 more customers. You now have 110 customers going around this wheel. So new customers are super important in anything that you do. The problem is a lot of these customers, a bit like water, fall out the side of this wheel. So what happens is you might make 100 sales from new customers and then only five or 10 come back and buy a second time. Or more often than not, and this is part of the problem, is none of them will come back and buy a second time. And people completely miss the point of this. So if you don't have a wheel, if you're just a one-stop shop for, say, sunglasses, people are only going to buy sunglasses once every so many months or even years um, in some scenarios. But people aren't going to buy sunglasses every single week. And if you only sell sunglasses, then the chances are your average order value is only ever going to be as high as the average price of product. So you might only make 20 or $30 per order. You've also used up a huge amount of effort. I'm going to talk about how to do this in a second as well. You've used a huge amount of effort getting that customer in in the first place. So it does start to seem a little bit stupid when you take a, you know, a bit silly when you take a step back and you think, do you know what? We've put all of this time and energy in to get all these customers here. They spend 20 or $30 and we probably spent 20 or $30 on marketing just to get them here. So now we've got to provide the products and everything else. We're actually going to make a loss. And what we're not thinking is how do we get 20 orders from each customer? We're just thinking, well, we only need one order from each customer or let's just get more customers in. And they focus all their attention on new customer acquisition. And most brands I've worked with, and it honestly is most, they are just so focused on getting new customers in, they forget about their existing customers. Now, this next episode is one that will always remain quite close to my heart. Um, we interviewed a chap called Dan from a company called Deliciously Guilt Free. This is my 29th episode. As you can tell, we're going through uh, going through in order, picking out some of the uh, the top performers. Um, Dan is is amazing chap. He's got a little bit of history in politics. Um, and this whole episode, um, we're, we're just going to play a quick clip of it. But this whole episode was quite groundbreaking and mind-blowing um, in the sense that Dan had literally just bought a local community kitchen started baking cakes um, and next thing you know he's you know working with customers and coming up with these amazing different flavors we've also worked with Dan for um, it was about a year we did a load of SEO work and things on his site as well um, and to help help those guys uh, with, with their journey so again I hope you enjoy this clip if any of these clips um, resonate with you especially this one I would highly recommend definitely go and listen to the whole episode and um, it was my 29th episode and I, I believe I'm looking at my notes here I believe it was the 114th that we had ever recorded um, it would have been at the start of um, either this year or last year. I remember it was an early, early January either way. But yeah, Deliciously Guilt Free is the name of the business. That's the thing to search. Hope you enjoy the clip. 
Today, however, I've got a very special guest. His name is Dan Grief. He's the director of Deliciously Guilt Free. So Dan, let's talk about Shopify, given that it's the, the topic of this podcast and what everybody's looking to do. Let's talk about your Shopify business. So do you want to just give us a quick overview to who you are and how you ended up in, 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 in the sort of role you're in today running uh, Deliciously Guilt Free? Yeah, thanks for that, Nick. So basically, I, you know, my wife and I didn't have any experience of, of e-commerce at all, actually. And you know, we came actually, I came onto this show with Caroline in March last year. And just to talk a bit about my journey, but I can just go over some of that again, because it was a long time ago. So basically, I was teaching, my wife is a doctor. And, you know, we just thought, wouldn't it be cool to just do something in the low carb space. And we are both into low carb and keto. And we thought, you know, we think this is something which we can talk about, I'm sure. But we think this is something that's going to change the world one day. And so we thought it would be great to run a business. And secondly, it's going to sound like a really weird reason. But because I've been a teacher and I'd also done other things in the public sector, and my wife, wife works in the NHS, and because I'm involved in politics locally, I just thought, I don't actually know what it's like to have a small business. And I know there's a lot of pressures and as well as rewards to having your own business. So I'd really like to know what that's like myself. I just want to go back to sort of December 2019. I was standing for Parliament and I'm, I'm in the Labour Party and it wasn't a great election for us. I was in a seat which is pretty hard to win anyway. And this business that I was running at the time, Deliciously Guilt Free, I was basically teaching by day. I'm a secondary school teacher, but I was teaching special needs to a lad with autism. I was then posting out orders during the day on my bicycle to the post office. So, you know, so in terms of like a hands-on business, like you know, I knew I did everything. My wife, Bessman's doing a PhD at Cambridge. So she's kind of at the moment in the lab all the time working on cancer cells. So, you know, and we've got two young children who are now five and two. So back at that time, you know, one of them was a baby and one was just out being a toddler. So it's a pretty full on time for us. And I just think now looking back on that time, I could have so easily have just given up at any point. In fact, I was actually looking at jobs the summer before that general election and I was applying for them and going for interviews. I didn't get any of them as, a, as teaching jobs that was. And I look back now thinking, thank God, I'm glad I did supplies, had the freedom to be able to do the business still. And then basically I kind of thought after the general election, right, I was so kind of chewed up by politics and a bit fed up with it all. I thought I'm going to really just throw everything into this business now. I'm going to put the whole shebang into it. So I went down on my teaching hours a little bit, put some more time into it. And, and I think in a way, and this probably relates to what a lot of the listeners are, are probably at the stage at, when you're running everything yourself, it is a really good basis because it's the best foundation you can have. When you're employing somebody to replace one of those jobs, you nobody knows it as well as you do. So you can really train that person to do what you used to do. Yeah. And you yeah, have yeah. the standard because you basically the customers we've taken along with us, there are some we've had for the last three years, a very small percentage. There are many more who have come later. But because we had those kind of two years of pain, I described them as, where we were baking everything ourselves, not sleeping very much, doing with you know, like a young baby and everything at home. And the hottest day of the whole in the whole country ever was in Cambridge two years ago. And I was baking on that day. You know, all these experiences <laughs> I remember. But now I can think, no, actually, this is my standard. I'm not going to dip on that just because it's easier to not train somebody properly or whatever. So you know it all. You know what works. And because you've got a winning formula with a few people – you'll find really quickly that if it works for a few, you can scale it up. If you've got something that you haven't really kind of perfected to your market, to your audience, then it's probably not going to go anywhere until you get it right. And that's what I felt like I did in those two years. So 
at the time I probably looked like a failure to my friends. Like, what are you doing? You're just getting poor quickly while you're pay- pouring your <laughs> into this business. But actually, now that I can 100% relate to. The, just formulated, isn't it? It's you so come cool. home and it's like, I've had a look at some jobs online for you, honey. And it's like, don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't even tell me that door exists. I'm Otherwise, not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if you believe in it, like no one's going to believe in it as much as you do. But I think that that message does win through eventually. And so that's like I say, like January last year, I thought, right, we're going to go for this now. Like, what, what, why am I putting brakes on things myself? I'm not going to put, I'm going to put politics to the side for one moment. I'm going to change my working hours, really go for this. And I thought, right, what could I do is start like a podcast. Let's try to not only produce these keto low carb cakes, but at the same time, build up the low carb community in the UK. So set up UK low carb. And I just thought, we'll see how it goes. And that was in March last year we started and we're just, just past 50,000 downloads. So that's been like a big part of it, I think, because Next thing you know, I'm actually communicating with customers who are my friends now, really. And our tribe, our community, because we all do low carbon keto together, means that we, you know, I get them on my show and they tell me their story. So it's all about them and and about us as a tribe, as a group. And that has been a huge part of success. I think instead of thinking, how can I sell something to this person? I thought, right, these are people like me. Let's get to know each other. And when you get to know each other, you build trust, you get to have relationships, and that was really beneficial. That makes your whole product and offering so much more profitable to the customer. I was, yeah, yes. not profitable yeah. to you, but profitable to the customer because it gives them so much more value, doesn't it? I think one of the things we talk about all the time, and I, we, you know, we covered this again a couple of weeks ago, the Rare Tea Company. Yeah, one of the things we talk about all the time on this podcast is quality of product. I often find the companies that are, are trying almost too hard with their SEO and their PPC and their email campaigns. And you almost get to a point where you're like, well, if the product was decent and the product being all of it, the full experience, we wouldn't have to go to these lengths, would we? Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I think it is, it's almost like understated, but it's so important to get that right, isn't it? And the thing I love now is that I feel like, okay, not all my customers, because we get into the stage where it's getting hard to have one-to-one relationships. But at first, I was getting direct feedback from them as well. So one of our flavors, we did like a lemon drizzle because somebody said, oh, well, I'd like that flavor. Can you try and make it? Now, bear in mind, our cakes and stuff are like less than two grams of carbohydrate and one gram of sugar. So they're like tiny amounts. I know no like fake sugars, like sort of people saying, oh, it's got honey or dates in it. No, that is still sugar in your body. These are made to, to be healthy for your metabolic health. That's why we made them because, and I can go into that story in a moment, but getting the feedback from customers meant they were saying, oh, we like lemon drizzle. Could you make it? So I did. Then I thought, oh, I could try and put some blueberry in that. So I made blueberry lemon drizzle and that's been really popular. And it's all because of that conversation back and forth. And when you're a small business, you should never underestimate the two things you have. One of those things, I think, is that one-to-one connection. You yourself can talk to your customers and get to know you as you. Not, you know, I, I try to avoid as much as possible, you know, we at Deliciously Guilt Free. And I'll say me, Dan, at Deliciously Guilt Free, I want to know what you think because it's personal between me and them, not, not this nebulous we nonsense. And the second thing you have is flexibility because big companies can't do that. Whereas you can say, right, let's just chuck out a flavor and see what works. Or let's just chuck out an idea see if, if it if it lands well and if it doesn't what doesn't work well if it does work well what could we adapt and change and that flexibility was really important for us because i was literally baking every night different flavors getting feedback trying new things and when those when that process of like you know hundreds and hundreds of bakes and sending them out to people to try and get them to taste them and then they're giving me feedback and they're buying them each time but they're enjoying them and they're just telling me how to improve I then got a winning formula between the two of us. I, okay, it's more than one customer, but it felt like just between me and that person at a time so that I had a product which people like now really love. And, and yeah, that's been incredible. 
Well, I hope you found that last clip really, really insightful. Again, Dan's been a massive inspiration to me. So um, yeah, Dan, if you're listening, thank you so much for all your contribution to our podcast over the years. I know you've been on it um, several times now and, and also worked with Caroline um, in the past pre, uh, pre my involvement. So uh, yeah, great to have you with us. This this next episode, I must, um, I must add a disclaimer that I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet. And equally, I did not write the list of these episodes. Um, this has been chosen by, the, by our team and also, as I say, looking at the statistics. Um, this next one was the second episode um, in a small series that we did. Um, this one is all about the five numbers that you must know if you want your store to succeed. Um, I'm very big on trying to break things down, put them in short lists so they are memorable. These five things were super important. Um, I have to be honest, I have no idea which five have made it into this next clip. Um, I'm working for my notes here. But if again, if you want to go and listen to the whole episode, this was called episode two, five numbers that you must, must in capitals, must know if you want your store to succeed. It was episode 130. It was my 45th. So nearly a year in for me. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoy uh, Hope you enjoy this next clip. The topic I wanted to cover today, I'm quite qualified to talk about. And we're going to be following on this same theme of talking about how to grow your business with the right business support. So it's a slightly more dry topic than some of the fun social media things that we cover or SEO, PPC, how to get more customers. Because actually, all of that needs to also work in tandem with your, what I would call your back office. So that needs to work alongside things like finance and legal and HR. So last week, to kick off this series with the fantastic Ben Leonard back on the podcast for a second time, and he's going to be back in a few weeks time as well. And Ben and I spoke about how he ran a Shopify store called Beast Gear. And during Ben's time there at Beast Gear, I say time there, he's the founder of Beast Gear. Ben and I uncovered a whole load of different bits and pieces that you absolutely have to get in line to make your store a success. Things like how to sort out business plans, um, how to get your finance in the right place, what to do with patents, how to deal with legal disputes with customers, all this sort of stuff. Because the problem is, if you don't get these things right in the first place, you could almost derail the business before the business has really got going. So today we're going to follow on that same theme. And there are five things I want to share today or five points I'm going to make about this topic. These are five statistics or figures or numbers that I believe every Shopify store needs to know at all times. Some of these numbers you might not be able to produce or calculate or have access to today. But as long as you know what they are and you know at which point you will have access to them, then you know exactly what you're going to be doing with your growth. To summarize the list of the five figures I believe you absolutely need to know, there's probably a lot more, but I thought we'll keep it to five today. The first one is how many sales per day, per week, per year, per month, whatever. Again, I put that in a very strange order, so apologies. How many sales you need to make on an ongoing basis to earn a living from the business? Second thing, profit margins. So you can set your marketing properly and you know you're going to make money from the products that you sell. The third thing, your lifetime value and average order value per customer and how you can influence those things to make both of them as high as you possibly can. Fourth thing, return rates and most importantly, the cost of returns. How much do returns cost your business? And then factor that into all of the first three points. And then the fourth thing as well, make sure that you start to get some good data on what external things, external factors affect your business. So when this happens, we make more money. When this happens, we make less money. And then you can adjust your marketing, adjust your approach, etc. accordingly. 
Great stuff. Well, you'll be pleased to hear this next clip is not just me. Um, this also includes uh, a really uh, a really inspirational person that um, I'm delighted to say is another Brit. Um, he lives over here in the in the UK. Um, his name is Matt Edmondson, and he was introduced by one of our other podcast guests, I think partly because um, they heard my accent and said, oh, I know somebody else from the UK, and uh, <laughs> introduced him. Um, he also runs his own podcast called The E-Commerce Podcast. Um, this whole episode was episode four. I can't remember exactly which but it was of some sort of series we were running um episode four building a killer shopify store with the e-commerce podcast so hope you enjoy this next clip of, uh, of matt and myself today we've got a very special guest who's got an amazing background and also a podcast which we'll find out about a little bit later as we go through his name is Matt Edmondson, and I've been introduced to him by a previous guest as well one of my favorite guests we've had on this year so without further ado matt Welcome to the show. God, oh, Nick, bless you. Thank you. It's great to be here, man. Great to be here. Tell us about yourself, your background, your podcast, what you're, what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been doing e-commerce since 2002. It's probably the most interesting step. Having been around it for so long, it's been a fascinating journey for me. And we've opened and closed online stores. We've sold sites. We've done all kinds of things over the years. Nice. And I genuinely love the fact that I can go to bed and wake up richer than when I went to sleep because somebody somewhere has purchased something off one of the sites. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a beautiful thing. And so, yeah, so I stumbled into e-commerce uh, like most people did. It wasn't a plan. I certainly, one of my most popular sites is a beauty site. And I definitely, when I was at school, do you know when you had that careers advisor talk, right? Maybe when you're in your oh, third year or something. I got kicked out of so many of those. <laughs> I was not not welcome. Just because I didn't want to be a lawyer or an accountant. It was, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually did say I wanted to be the lawyer or the accountant. That's what I did at uni. But I never once said to them, I want to be the head of a really great beauty website. I want to be known for beauty. That's not what... <laughs> that was never on my agenda. That's for yeah. sure. So I guess f first big question then, how should somebody, regardless of where they are with their business, how should somebody look at their website and go, right, what... What should I be doing to this e-commerce business? Like, what should I be doing to the website to improve it? Like, where, where's the first place you, you think they should go? So that's a great question. I think if you've already got a website that's up and running and you've already got people coming to the website and you've already got people buying from it, the, for me, the very first thing you've got to do is you've, you've got to put yourself in the mind of the person using your website. In other words, your customer, right? Mm. And it sounds really simple and it sounds really obvious, but for me, this is one of the key differentiators. I'll tell you a story. We'd been running our beauty website for about, I'm guessing about eight years. And every, every design, every design iteration of that website, I personally had done on Photoshop and then given it to the dev team. And it's like, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to do. And because obviously I know exactly what I want in an e-commerce website. I know what an e-commerce website should do. And it wasn't until about eight or nine years into this journey, I kind of stopped myself and I thought, you know what, here I am. I'm a British middle class guy, right? <laughs> yeah. I am not my target customer for this website. And yet here I am designing this website for a whole bunch of people. So what I did was for the first time ever, I went to a friend of mine, he owns a design agency, still does, where his designers were predominantly female and of a similar sort of age range to the target market we were aiming at. And so I went to him and I said, listen, I need your designers to design this site for me. How would they design it? How would they, how would they drive this forward? And you know what? The, the concepts and ideas they came back with were so different 
to what we'd currently done. They were so so far removed from our sort of blue and gray website and they introduced pink and bright yellows and all kinds of things. And you know what? It had a big impact. And it was the lesson learned for me is actually, it's not what I think about this website. It's not the stuff that I tinker with. It's not the stuff that I think will be great here or there. I have to think about how does this website work for my consumer? That's the first question I've I've got to think about. How do you build value? What are some of the things you can put onto collections, onto products, onto your homepage, onto your blog posts that show people there is a real value included from purchasing from this store? Everybody starts with the product, right? So you, you've got to start with the product. So let's say I'm selling fountain pens, for example. The only reason I mention fountain pens, I have one in front of me. So <laughs> okay. I don't actually sell fountain pens. But let's say I sell fountain pens online and I'm kind of thinking, Right. Someone's coming to this website mm. and they basically Googled this brand of pen, which is like, I've got a Lamy Safari fountain pen, right? They've gone and they've Googled it and they've come to my website. Now we're all selling at about a very similar sort of price. Maybe someone's trying to undercut me a little bit, but I need to convince somebody to buy this pen from me. Okay. Yep. Just putting up that web page is not enough to convince them to buy from me. So what can I do, which is going to help them buy from me? So then I start to think about, well, Obviously, I've got, I can maybe have a good product choice. So maybe I could talk about different colors or maybe I could start to look at things like bundles. So if you buy this pen and this ink, then we'll throw this writing pad in for free. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not discounting, but I'm building value. Gifts with purchase for me are one of the most critical tools that we have. And the paper might, might actually cost me pence to source. But if I'm selling that paper, say for five quid on the website, well, then all of a sudden I'm adding quite insane levels of value to something which ordinarily I wasn't. So I would look for ways to use something like gifts with purchase, bundles, um, upsells, cross-sells to add value. The other thing that I think is probably one of the most misunderstood parts of e-commerce is the fact that up until, let's say I order the, the fountain pen, right, from, from the website. Yeah. Everything up until that transaction has been pixels. So the website may have looked good. The way it was laid out was great. It was well optimized. I like the bundle deal. You've convinced me to buy from you. You've got user-generated content on there. All those kind of things, right? So I've bought the pen. Yep. Now, at this point, your customer is the most vulnerable. They have given you their money, but they have not received anything in return. So what can you also do to add value at every stage, right? So I can then start to think about, right, well, Nick's ordered this fountain pen. What I'm going to do is say to him, Nick, here's your order confirmation. But not only that, here's first of five emails, which tells you how to write like a pro with your fountain pen. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm going to send you that email sequence. And I'm going to tell you that right on the product page. So when you buy the pen, it's like whenever you buy the pen, we'll, we'll send you our free course on how to write like a pro. And the other thing that I might put on the product page is how I wrap and send the product. Because maybe you didn't buy the product for yourself. Maybe you bought it as a gift. And you're really curious to know, how am I packaging this product? What kind of box does it come in? What does it come with? What courier do you use to send it? How can it be delivered to me? And so I can now start to add value with that, right? So one of the things that I appreciate, I'm jumping around between e-commerce businesses here. <laughs> one of the things that we did with our um, e-commerce business was we did exactly this, right? So 
in our beauty business, I looked at it and thought, when we send this product out, we just send it in a really brown, boring box, mm. just like Amazon. The boxes are brown and boring, and you don't really get that excited when it arrives. And I wanted to create like this gift-like feel. And so I'm like, well, how can I do that? So we took out the the sort of the plastic bubbles that everybody was using at the time. And we decided to use a very different filler in the boxes to send the products out. And the product that we ended up choosing was actually popcorn. Okay. Nice. So yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. So we put a photo of that on our product pages. We ship your products out wrapped in popcorn. And guess what? People were loving that. We became known. I should eventually create a website called Popcorn Beauty or something, because that's, <laughs> that's what we became known for, yeah, yeah. which I thought was quite fascinating. And so it's things like that and telling customers you're going to do it all increases value. The last question I'm going to ask you, golden nuggets. Are there any specific changes you've made to sites that you've then gone, well, that was really effective, and then rolled it out across lots of sites and it's worked almost every time where there's been a definite trend of improvement? Anything people can take away as a final little like, I'm going to go and try that on my site today and see if that increases conversion rate or, or sells more products. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I've learned over the years, and I, I come back to this point time and time again with a lot of people, actually, mm. is when someone comes to your website, unless they've come like via Google shopping, only a small percentage of them are actually ready to buy, which is why the conversion rates on most websites are like four to five percent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If depending on your industry, whatever it is, we have websites with conversion rates of about 20, 30 percent. They're very unique site. It's not usual. But even if you had a website that's got, say, 15 percent conversion, which is super high. OK, that means 85 percent of the people coming to your website have not bought anything. And we want to try and understand the reasons why. And we want to try and do something that is going to engage a chunk of those people. So if I take a typical product page, okay, so the typical product page selling the fountain pen, it's like, this is the fountain pen. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no. There's one button on the website, which says add to cart or buy now, right? And that's it. But what about the 85 people who are not ready to buy that pen at that point? Don't just forget about them. What could you do that is going to engage them and take them further? And I would suggest that actually every product page should have two buttons on it, one which says buy now and the other one, which is the button for the people who aren't ready to buy now. OK, so what stops somebody from buying a fountain pen right now? OK, and we need to. I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm just going to hypothesize. Yeah, so yeah, let's sure. say they're not ready to buy a fountain pen right now because they don't know how to write with a fountain pen and it scares them. It's just kind of like a romantic idea. Okay, so let's take that as a possibility. So on the website, I'm going to have buy now, as I normally would, with pictures of the pen. But somewhere on that website, in quite a prominent place, I'm going to put on there something which says, click here to access our course on everything you need to know on how to write beautifully with a fountain pen in five easy steps or something like that, right? So I'm going to take what the big problems are, the big concerns, and I'm going to go, right, rather than these people just going, oh, that's nice. If I ever want to buy a fountain pen, it's going to be like 40 bucks and then just leave. I want to draw these people in. I want to somehow tell them they can do what they need to do to buy this fountain pen. So I'm then going to lead them onto some kind of content which is really going to be valuable and it's really going to help them because they're going to go, man, if they've given me this much content of this much value, that's awesome. 
right? I'm totally buying a pen from them right now because I feel like I'm empowered and can do it. And I now want to do what's actually in the email series with the pen and I need the pen to do the thing that I want yeah, to do, yeah, which exactly. is I, I don't want a pen, I want to write. Or I want the re- yeah. writing to have been done is the outputs. I'm going to sort of appeal to that. Or maybe they're, like you say, they're, maybe, why do they want to write with a fancy pen? Maybe they want to do a beautiful handwritten letter to their wife on their anniversary. Do you know what I mean? They've been married 25 years and they just want to write a beautiful handwritten letter because they've never done that before. And the the wife has never been that enamored with his handwriting anyway. And so it's like, is that the reason? How can I help that person achieve that goal with these products? So what you can start to do is you can say, right, I'm getting a 15% sales conversion on my website, but I'm converting another 10% of the people that are coming to my webpage that weren't buying before. And what I mean by converting, I mean, I'm not necessarily selling to them today, but I am engaging with them or they're engaging with us. They're either giving me an email address, they've enrolled on a course, they've joined a Facebook group, they've started to watch a YouTube channel. They're doing something where I can re-engage with them and I'm helping them on their journey. And for me, it's the big thing that most e-commerce websites forget to do. They forget about the other 85, 90, 95 people that come to their website that actually don't buy. But these are ideal people that, yes, we can retarget them on Facebook. We can show them more ads of our products because they've been on their website. But what else can we do? How can we engage them, build that trust, build that knowledge, and get them to a place where they go, love this, totally want to buy well, this next episode we're about to go on, I'm afraid, is it's another slightly, uh, yeah, slightly arrogant move from uh, from my team. I think this one's just me, but I think the situation of this one we ended up with was uh, this is called um, episode three again of another mini series we're running, um, nailing it for your customers: the top ten things customers hate. Now, this was an episode that was just me, but it was actually built by my team and a few of our clients as well that we asked for their input. Um, we're asking for their opinions of what do customers hate. These were our top 10. Um, again, if you want to go and check out the full episode, there'll be a link to it in the description of this. If there isn't a description, go and search Nailing It For Your Customers, Top 10 Things Customers Hate, Winning With Shopify. Um, a nice, long, complicated search term like the above. Uh, on Google, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully bring this up. So again, apologies, it's just me. I think it's because we uh, come up with slightly more clickbaity titles uh, to try and hook people in. You know, we, we want to market the podcast as much as, um, as much as we market our clients' work as well. So hope you enjoy... Um, this next clip. So yeah, over to the clip. And today I'm going to be talking about top 10 things, in my opinion, that I believe customers absolutely hate when they are shopping online. Um, But number one, customers hate it when your website sucks. Customers hate getting spammed on email. Customers hate it when your social media is dormant and it looks like nobody's home or your live chat's off or something like that. Customers hate it when you use bad or environmentally unfriendly packaging for things or excessive packaging. Customers hate bad customer service because they want to feel like they're actually connected and there's somebody there if things go wrong. Customers hate pages loading slowly and websites loading slowly and therefore Google does too. Customers hate bad advertising. So a bad advert can be worse than no advert. So make sure your advertising good. It's exciting. It, it brings it brings the business and the brand to life. Customers hate when delivery goes wrong or you don't communicate or it arrives on the wrong day or it smells of smoke or something when the, when the product ends up at the door. Customers hate bad systems. So make sure your systems talk to each other. They work and customers can use them easily and use them well. And customers also hate bad offers. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And the next one as well is another clip that I'm afraid is just going to be me. Um, this one, I can tell exactly why it was so popular. Um, this one in particular, I've, I remember seeing this in our reports. It's, I think it's currently in our top 10 ever episodes in terms of volume of downloads and also the speed in which people downloaded this one. Um, this one is called Make Your First Million on Shopify. Top tips to get there quickly. Um, one thing I particularly enjoyed about this is not, not necessarily the fact that it is just, again, it's just an episode that I did um, when a guest, I think a guest pulled out on us last minute on this one as well, looking at uh, looking back over my previous notes in, in our archives. Um, but this one in particular, I went back through and listened to about 30 or 40 recent episodes um, and tried to pull out anything that was specifically around revenue growth. And those are the top tips that therefore have made it into this episode. So again, hope you find this useful. Over to the clip and over to myself as well. You need to learn Shopify. And it doesn't just stop at Shopify, I'm afraid. If you're going to run an online e-commerce business, you first need to know about online and you need to learn about e-commerce and you need to learn about business. So Shopify is the one that we were talking about internally. It was like mostly our SEO team was saying, do you know what? If our clients knew Shopify better and how it works and what it does, we could do SEO at a much faster pace. So it's something we're always looking to do as a business is we call it training through delivery. We always try to train our clients while we're delivering things. The more you learn about Shopify, the quicker you're going to be able to grow this business. And therefore, you start to loosen the reliance on third parties like web developers or agencies or people that make themes or you know even people like us. Uh, running your ads for you. The more you learn about all these different things, the more you know where you're getting the right value, the more you know when you're getting the best results. And the quicker you, as the business owner, the, the sort of, I always call the business owner like elastic time. You know, as a business owner myself, we dive in and out of things as much as we need to to keep the world's in motion. It comes, with, it comes with the role. And if you're anything like me, you absolutely love it. I absolutely love every day I get different challenges, team going, oh, this client's not happy about this or that project's not going well enough or this client, they're making profit, but I just can't grow it. I love those challenges. And that, and that is something that if you know more about Shopify and you know how Google Ads works, and you know about SEO and you know about Facebook ads and email and all the rest of it, it doesn't take long to learn these things these days. The systems are more intuitive and easier to use than ever. So the more you learn about those things, the, the more you're basically getting rid of vulnerability in the company and in the business. So if something breaks in Shopify, you know how to roll Shopify back like two hours back to before it was broken and it's working so your customers can keep trading while you work out what the problem is. And so again, the more you can learn to do on these things, and there's millions of resources from, you know, we've got our own course that we're currently revamping, which probably shouldn't have said that, but that's fine. We'll leave that in there. We're currently working on doing a complete revamp of our Shopify course. But there are lots of courses out there that you can pay for. There are consultants you can talk to to get advice. There are YouTube videos and every single app, every single platform will have YouTube videos, support areas. You can ask questions. You can find help for things you need help on and get the tools to work harder for you because you're learning how they work. So you want to learn as much as you can about those things. And then that means when you are working with external resources like agencies or freelancers or even employing staff, staff, you're hiring those people to expand what you're already doing rather than invent or pioneer a way to do something for your business that's never been done before. Choose your apps wisely. I highly recommend an episode from a few weeks ago. Lindsay from a business called Byte, B-I-T-E. And if you search Byte Toothpaste, if you search it on Google, you'll find her Shopify store. When she set out, she did a load of research and she decided that Shopify was going to be the best e-commerce platform for her. Not for everybody, but it was for her. And then she also chose an app called Recharge. Recharge manages subscriptions and a whole load more. They sponsored our podcast last month, which is why we had Lindsay on talking about Recharge. But my point being is, 
if you gr- keep grabbing apps going, I want an app that shows a spin the wheel and people can get discounts. And then I want another app that's going to do a newsletter sign up because I want some newsletters. I'm going to get another app that does live chat so people can talk to us and we'll put a chatbot in the way first. And if you get through the chatbot, you can talk to a real human, but that'll be me. So I'll have it coming through as a text message. And then we also want one that if you go to exit the site, you know, if your mouse goes up towards the back button or the close button, we give you like a 15% off uh, discount code if you give us an email address now. So you've just added five or six, seven, eight, nine, ten different pop-ups and overlays on your site. If you've just added them, you've annoyed every single customer that is ever going to come onto your site. So choose your apps wisely. Have a think about what does this app do? And the general rule with apps and, and technology as a whole is less is more. So the less technology you have that do more things for you, the better. So for example, we use Google Workspace here. So we use it for as much as possible. We use it for all our docs, our spreadsheets, which is how we work as a team and how we engage with each other. We use it for email. We, and because it's on Google, we also use Google Ads to run advertising campaigns. We use Google Analytics to monitor those advertising campaigns. We use Google Data Studio to monitor how things are going. So one login gives anyone in my team access to all of that as well as Google Drive, which is a complete folder folder structure system where you can lock folders, you can hide them from other people, and you can also collaborate on lots of things. So again, try and have less technology doing more things each. If you've only got three systems, which might be sort of Shopify, you know, Recharge, and then maybe on top of that, you get Clavio to run your email or something. You've got three systems and actually everything from Recharge will run through Shopify. So you've only got really two systems, which is Clavio and Shopify to make talk to each other. So one integration to do. And that one integration will drive absolutely everything for you. Better still, Clavio have a Shopify app. So you plug it in, the two are talking to each other. You change a customer in Clavio, it changes in Shopify. If you change them in Shopify, it changes in Clavio. So less tech is better. And when you're starting out, you have an opportunity to look at tech and get it right. If you're not starting out and you're thinking, oh gosh, Nick, you're telling me to use less apps and I've got you know, 30, 40, 50 or something on there, all doing different things, some are dormant, go and clean them out. Get rid of the ones that aren't working. And if there's three or four that are doing similar things, maybe think about getting rid of all of them and finding a new one that would do all of those things in one go. Shopify themselves are very good if you contact support or go on the forums to say, you know, what apps are people using on their stores at the moment? Or I, you know, I have one app that manages comments on my website, another one that does orders and manages the customer account. It says, anybody have an app where I can just have one app that manages all of my customer logins across the board? That particular one, someone will probably say, Shopify does that for you. So choose apps that use the Shopify account for each customer. Keep it nice and simple. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, previous clip. Um, I hope everybody's geared up and ready to make their first million on Shopify as well. Um, again, as I keep saying, go and check out the full episode if you want to want to listen back to that. Um, this next one is, is something really, really close to my heart. It's an SEO masterclass. You'll be delighted to hear it's not just me. Um, we had a lovely guest on this particular episode um, where we were talking about SEO and um, yeah, the, the guys at SEOoptimizers.com had quite a big part to play in this, which was, uh, which was super useful. If you want to go and check out the full episode of this as well. I've just checked the link and the link is still uh, valid. Um, We did put a link in the description of this episode, which was a free gift to give you guys a bit of support and help on SEO. So make sure you go and check out the full episode. It's called Shopify SEO Masterclass. Everything you need to get started on SEO with Shopify. So over to the clip. As always, I've got a very special guest with me. His name's Brandon and he's from a company called SEO Optimizers. So without further ado, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to sharing some knowledge and tips about SEO and how to use it for Shopify. So let's come on to SEO for Shopify. So just give us a quick kind of like one or two lines on just for anyone who's like, okay, SEO, I'm new to this. What on earth is that? 
Brandon, what is SEO? SEO is search engine optimization, which means optimizing your website for the different search engines out there to show up higher when people are looking for your product or service or whatever it may be that you want to rank for. But it's essentially getting you up on whether it's Google, Bing, Yahoo, or even if you're a local business, getting you up ranking on Yelp or Google My Business or TripAdvisor or whatever's popular in your country or city or where you're located because it's all about just trying to optimize for that. Like even Amazon can optimize for Amazon's algorithm. There's always an algorithm and it's really optimizing whatever you're trying to promote to get you that free traffic so you're not paying for ads, but getting in the free results, the organic results. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. And I think the best thing about SEO, as you mentioned, is it's, it's free traffic. So if you optimize for a search engine, it's going to be completely free. And yeah, f- fantastic way to uh, fantastic way to start driving traffic through. We're going to dive into the masterclass now for everybody listening. Kick us off, Brandon. What are some of the technical things you should be optimizing on your Shopify store? So with technical SEO, it's more of going in and fixing or going to the coding and making changes to the coding. So the more important things are like title tags, making sure that you optimize title tag, the meta description. So when you're in Shopify or if you're on a different platform, but most platforms say SEO or Shopify says SEO settings on each page. And it's really going in each page and optimizing it. You're not just optimizing your website, but every individual page on your website is an opportunity to rank for different keywords. So going in and if you're an e-commerce website and you have 10,000 products, it might be a little overwhelming. So I would definitely focus on the more important things like the homepage is always going to get more traffic or categories or collections is what it's called in Shopify. But focusing on that and trying to just have a structure and a hierarchy of your website that makes sense and definitely try to utilize categories because categories are what Google is going to more than likely show. Mm. Like if you imagine you might be selling shoes and if someone's searching for like running shoes, they don't want to be taken to like one individual product page because that might not be the shoe that they're looking for. So it's better to have a category of running shoes that's optimized that way they get to a page where there's multiple options that they could choose from if they're looking for whatever style colors but it's all there so collections are really very important and breaking it up and really thinking about your website structure and looking at your competitors the nice thing about digital marketing is everything is out there in the open so i could see what you're doing and you can see what i'm doing and I'd really recommend spying on the competition and looking <laughs> at what structuring because they're doing the work for you. So if they're spending all that time and especially if it's a big company too, like if you have some big corporate company or competitors, you can look at how they're structuring it because they have whole teams of people doing SEO, doing keyword research, trying to figure out what's the best way to structure it, where to put those keywords and how to utilize it all. So definitely try to jump on that as much as possible. But Shopify does have like plugins or extension the add-ons that will help out with SEO that will kind of enhance it. The more important thing really is the title tag for SEO, like for on-page SEO is going in and optimizing that title tag by putting keywords in it. And the title tag is essentially that blue clickable link. So if you're searching in Google, you'll see there's a blue clickable link and the black text underneath it. That blue clickable link is called the SEO title tag. And that's where everyone is putting their keywords. So if you want to find your competitors real quickly, you can just go into Google, search for their keywords, see what blue clickable link that they're using. And you can see if they're using like plurals, synonyms, or variations, or just some industry jargon that you've never heard of. And that's going to give you ideas of keywords quickly to potentially use on your website or create pages about those keywords. 
because again, you can really only target about three to five words per page or keywords per page. So if you're trying to target more keywords, got to break out that website and create new pages. The more pages you have, the more opportunities you have to rank for different keywords and the better off or happier Google's going to be. But there are a lot of parts to on or technical SEO, like speed. I would make sure that your website loads quickly using like Google page speed insights, a free tool from Google. And it'll show you how fast or how slow your website loads, but just take everything with a grain of salt. Most websites, I mean, almost every website fails that test. So just be aware. It's just part of their algorithm. There's a lot of variables that go into Google's algorithm. And this one's probably not the biggest for SEO yet. It's definitely very important for people, especially on mobile. If they're on your website and it loads slowly, it's going to be a bad user experience. So got to make sure that that is just as streamlined as possible. Same with like making sure it's mobile friendly. If you're not mobile friendly, Google's not going to show you on the mobile devices, which brings in the majority of the traffic nowadays, but also making sure it's easy to use and easy to navigate on mobile. That's also very important for people. So trying to balance the making Google happy with also making people happy because making Google happy will get you traffic. But if your website's not optimized to convert that traffic into leads, they're just going to kind of drop off. So you got to also think about the people and how you can optimize all the technical aspects or the verbiage on your website to resonate with both Google and with people. Now, this last and final clip, um, we've been going through the archives and we sort of started with my very first episode, which was episode one, back with a huge announcement, which got everybody uh, downloading and listening again. We've, we've then made our way up to episode 96. So that was only, um, if this is episode 101, it was five episodes ago. Um, the last one, the SEO Masterclass, was episode 81. Now, this one, we're diving right the way back for episode 64. This episode, I will genuinely never, ever forget. And Billy who was my guest from Billy Footwear. Billy, if you're listening to this, I think I said afterwards that this was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had on the podcast. Um, I had no idea about Billy's story and Billy's story is amazing. Um, Billy is disabled. And one thing, therefore, Billy has not been able to do, he's in a wheelchair, he's not been able to do up his shoes or put his own shoes on um, and tie his laces and things for years. So he's developed a product called Billy Footwear where he can do um, exactly what I've just described. He can put his own shoes on again. And it's something that a lot of us will take for granted. But for somebody who is disabled, this, um, as Billy explains on the episode, is was absolutely liberating. And Billy then also went through to share some phenomenal e-commerce stories as well. Again, it was one of the most powerful episodes I think we've ever had one of the best stories I remember he shared on this and again I'm not reading my notes this is not from me listening to it it's purely from memory um, was that they did a test run they did like a crowdfunder campaign ordered all the products in um, after people had already purchased them preparing themselves and basically readying themselves to just send all these orders out to all the people that have bought them and the products arrived and they were of such a low quality they couldn't send them out Needless to say, they overcame this. Listen to the whole episode, please. Here's a little clip from it, but please go back and listen to the whole episode. It's called Your First 1000 Sales with Billy Footwear. It's episode 64. Sorry, all those episode numbers as well were just just my episode numbers from when I started. Um, This is episode 149 in total. Um, So make sure you go back and check it out. This is one of the most powerful episodes ever on the podcast. And if you were listening to the episode when it first went out and it was live, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, enjoy this little clip. Please go and check out the whole episode though again super powerful. Today, we're continuing our series on your first 1,000 sales. So we've had a few episodes on this already, and we've spoken to a few different store owners about how they got their first 1,000 sales. And we're not talking specifically 
what you know what what happened right up until the moment you hit a thousand and stop. We're just talking about how did your store start, how did it grow and develop. So we want to give as much advice as possible throughout this and share stories that are beneficial and useful for people that are looking to go on that journey or, or are already on that journey but want to get a bit more traction throughout that process as well. I'm delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, and his name is Billy from Billy Footwear. So without further ado, Billy, welcome to the show. Yeah, Nick, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great stuff. And it's great to have you with us. And as always, with all of our guests, just before we dive in, give us a quick overview. What is Billy Footwear? How did you get started? And what is, I'm assuming your role is quite important, given that your name is on the door. But uh, <laughs> t- tell, us, tell us about the business. Yeah, so Billy Footwear, it was a brainstorm between uh, two guys, myself and my co-founder, Darren Donaldson. Uh, we're a shoe company based out of Seattle, Washington in the United States. And uh, we started small and uh, we've definitely grown through the years. So it's been a really exciting journey. Nice, nice. Sounds good. And obviously, we're going to uncover that journey a little bit more as we go. Now, there's something quite striking about your footwear, isn't there? What? Tell us what the most iconic part of it is. Right. So there's a bunch of um, key unique characteristics to our shoe. The big one is the wraparound zipper. So essentially it's a shoe that has a zipper that goes on the outside of the shoe and it goes around the toe, which allows the whole upper of the shoe to fold over completely so you can actually drop your foot in unobstructed. So having a zipper in a shoe is not necessarily original, but really the way we put it together, it is. And uh, the backstory, which you can go into, is uh, I'm a wheelchair user and I haven't been able to put my shoes on. There was a big gap in my in my life where I, I couldn't put my shoes on independently. So that uh, to overcome that challenge, that was kind of the brainstorm which uh, brought the design forward. And then we decided to share it with the world. Nice. And I love that because we've had so many people on the show that sometimes going from something that can be quite restrictive, like a disability or an injury or something that stops somebody doing their profession. We've had quite a few guests on the show where that's become, and I always use the Batman analogy because I think it's perfect. Batman was scared of bats. So he overcame his fear and became the Batman, which I think is quite interesting. And I think certainly, you know, you, you're obviously there day to day and it's a, it's a passion of yours as well, trying to help other people that are struggling with the same sort of thing. So yeah, I love the fact that the product has come from a good place as well, rather than a lot of businesses where it's like, how do we make money and just kind of start from there? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. It was one of those deals when we started as the business, it was a, it's like, you know what, we'll make a go of it. And if the thing just completely flops, that's going to be okay because the one success story that we can't take away is my own. I mean, being able to make a prototype and then, I mean, I broke my neck at 18. I put my shoes on again independently at 36 and that was a really, really special day. And that's the type of deal that regardless of how the business does, that special moment cannot be taken away. So it was always something we could fall back on. But as I say, the business has been going really good. So we're really excited about that. I imagine quite a lot of the people that buy your product aren't just people that struggle with putting their shoes on for disability reasons. I imagine there's probably just a, an enormous core of people as well who just love the concept, love the product. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, for us to go into the the shoe market, which is just incredibly competitive, we knew we had to do something big. We couldn't just come to market with this quote, like adaptive shoe. We had to come to market and really take fashion and function and smash it together and to be able to, like, one, survive in the industry, we had to be able to be on the shelves of, of big retail partners. So essentially what we tried to do is we tried to embrace the concept of more of a universal design, the type of a, a concept that, you know, someone that needs the function could be empowered, but also it would be a design and, a, you know, a style that anyone would want to wear. So 
we've been able to, we've been very fortunate in regards to be in this, in, on the shelves of major retail partners and also expanded into much more independent stores, both domestic in the United States, but also just abroad. We got lots of retail partners in Europe, in uh, South America, in Australia, in Canada. So it's been really cool to watch it grow. I use the word surreal <laughs> quite often hmm. just because it has been a real surreal ride. And, you know, oftentimes I got I to gotta force myself to look in the rearview mirror to see where we came from yep. because things are just rolling now. But, man, it was it was really touch and go early on, especially because it was just daring to myself. And uh, this is a side hustle. I mean, we had our day jobs working, working full time. Hmm. And then in the evening and on the weekends, we tried to build up this this shoe idea. And uh, as it continued to grow, that little side hustle fortunately turned into our main hustle just because we just did not have the bandwidth to do anything other than grow this business. So it's crazy how this idea, which started with two people, now we have a staff of 20 and uh, we're still very much on the grow. Without giving too much away, and if any of your competitors are listening, I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets, but where, where are you guys heading? Like, what, what are some of the things on the horizon that you're like, these are going to be obvious challenges that other people listening are going to have to hit at some point if growth continues? Yeah. So really our mission, we're, we're a brand with the mission to add value. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to be a brand of success, but more than that, we really want to be a brand of significance. And the way we do that is, I mean, our kind of, our catch, our plan of words is to make a measurable difference in the world one foot at a time. So with that in heart, like to add value, if that's, if that's truly what we want to do, we need to grow really need to grow. We need to make our business significantly larger. And I say that not through the lens of just like, hey, I want to be a big business owner. I say that through the lens of in order for us to add more value to more people, we need to grow the business so we can take more risks and build more relationships. That's really what it is. So it's been awesome to be able to know that we came from a place that we were working incredibly hard to be able to create something that could put food on our own tables, which was Darren and myself. And now we have a business where we're putting food on the tables of 20 people, which is it's absolutely incredible. And uh, being able to bring a product to market where, yes, it's a shoe, but one comment that we get frequently is it's more than a shoe because there's lots of, there's lots of families out there that have, like, I don't know. I mean, like myself, I'm a spinal, I have a spinal cord injury. I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I'm not able to, like my brain, my brain can't make my feet move. So for me to put shoes on, it was a real challenge. It was a real struggle to be able to lift my foot up and try to shove it into a shoe. It just wasn't working. So to be able to have someone can drop your foot in unobstructed, that was the answer. And there's lots of moms and moms out there and fathers out there that are sharing experiences of their own children that are now able to put their shoes on by themselves and they've never been able to do that before. So it's just really rewarding in that regard, but we want to be able to have more stories like that. We want to be able to celebrate the success stories. So in order for really, to, really for that to happen, we just need to grow the business. And let's finish with this last question then, which kind of, kind of comes off what you've just said actually about you feeling liberated, it being something that's creating stories. And I think stories is a great way of, a great word for describing it. How does that then play into the business's marketing without it being too much of a you know, kind of like, oh, you know, a sort of sob story, I guess, is the, is, is the right to, How does that play into marketing? Like, how do you bring that, that liberation, that good news? How do you bring that forward in the marketing of the business and, and of the actual products themselves? You know, I, boy, that's a good question. I, I would say that... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big question, a really big question. Yeah. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I'm trying to come up with the best words. I mean, okay. it's, I think it's really, you just have to be authentic. I mean, yep. it's so, I mean, so my story, for example, I mean, when I, when I broke my neck, I mean, I was my, my mind, I had this plan <laughs> for my life. I mean, 18 years old, I, I was taking the, taking the world by storm. I, I thought I knew everything and I broke my neck and all of a sudden, you know, my life changed. And there were so many things that I used to be able to do that I couldn't do. I mean, like kick a soccer ball, like run and jump and climb and like all these outdoor activities that all of a sudden I just felt were robbed. Mm. And my brain went to a very, very dark place. Sure. And it was really like the people around me that helped me. It's not like they fixed me, but they allowed, they created an environment that allowed me to choose to change, choose to change my mindset Mm. and focus on like, you know what, this is what I still have. I'm still alive for one thing. So let's try to make the most of the day. Let's try to, every time you wake up, it's a morning that I really couldn't have not had. So why, why, why should I be upset? Why should be, I I should be smiling. I should be happy to have another bonus day. So when you share that type of story, yes, it's, I guess you could think of it as a sob story, Mm. but within that, within that tragedy, I guess, and within that scar tissue, there's a lot of power because it brings people together. I mean, everyone, life is really challenging. I mean, it's, this is one of those things. I mean, it's like everybody has their own challenge. Everyone's going through something. Yep. And it's, a, and it's not like it's a competition. It's just like we have to try to all get through life one way or the other. So when we're able to share those stories and like be honest and just say like, look, this is a challenging thing that I'm working on or trying to get through. I think a lot of people gravitate towards that type of community to be able to like have those honest conversations and to be able to, you know, collectively try to do something bigger. So it's not like we try to, you know, like, Hey, like what's, what's going on in your world? Please tell up like, and to, to be able to like kind of force that, that vulnerability. But if, if people are open and be able, are willing to share, I just, I just think it's, like, yes, I guess it's marketing, but it's not like you're trying to leverage this like weakness. I just think we're just trying to provide an opportunity to tell these amazing stories. Well, there we go. Episode 101. We've absolutely nailed it over the last two years. And I say we, I just I just click, check out the show notes, click record and, and, and do my thing. I love to talk as I'm sure a lot of you, uh, a lot of you are aware of. Um, but thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Again, an enormous thank you to every single guest we've ever had on. Um, even those guests where I look at the show notes and think, oh my gosh, how are we going to talk about this for more than five minutes? Um, everyone's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. I've never walked away from a, a recording and thought, well, that could have gone better that was a bit salesy it's a, every single guest has been absolutely phenomenal I want to say a very special thank you as well to our editor Paul um, who does all the um, audio production for the show Paul you're doing a fantastic job um, I want to say a massive thank you to Byron for organising it all putting up with me for the last couple of years um, just to make it clear in case uh, you misheard something I said earlier in this episode as well um, I'm not going anywhere we're just we're just looking back and seeing where we've been um, I'm planning to be here for hundreds more episodes as well as are the team we're fully committed to this um, if you want to reach out and get in touch then please do um, something we'd love you to do is go on winningwithshopify.com fill out a form um, on the website literally any form you like they all come through to uh, to Byron in our team please give us some feedback what you like what you don't like what you want more of um, anything you've heard on other podcasts that you think could be interesting um, and also anything you're struggling with at the moment if you want help on something I would love to do episodes that support you guys really directly so if you can send through um, as I say anything you're struggling with challenges questions or if you think there's a channel that you're like I 
I should be selling on Amazon or something and we just don't know what to do with that and um, we will go out to market and find a guest and um, we've got a really wide network here we can we can find good people get them on and give you guys that um, that insight that you need so again really really humbled thank you from everybody it's been an amazing journey I, I hope this is just the beginning of this journey as well um, and I, I hope to have many more episodes with all of you guys tuning in so thank you so much I've already recorded next week's episode and it's an absolute banger so in the UK the word banger means uh, means good um, so yeah it's going to be an amazing episode so <laughs> make sure you check that out um, I've said too much already anyway I'm gonna we're gonna call it a day there thanks for listening we'll see you again next week thanks for listening to today's podcast you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com and don't forget to check out our facebook group by searching for winning with shopify on facebook over and out